Welcome to the new Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony and he provides commentary on the WMHT live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live. On WMHT-FM, your classical companion. The Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert Broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. This evening's program features one magnificent work from the classical repertoire, Verdi's monumental Requiem Mass. As you probably know, Verdi was probably the dominant operatic figure of the entire 19th century, uh, Richard Wagner notwithstanding. Interestingly, both composers were born in the same year, in 1813, and Wagner, of course, was the dominant figure in the evolution of German opera in the 19th century, and Verdi, of course, in Italian opera. But Verdi was really much more than merely an Italian opera composer. He was a, an incredibly uh, significant, beloved, and widely known cultural figure in the world of the 19th century. In fact, from the time of his third opera, Nabucco, which he composed when he was merely 29 years old, he was really the dominant Italian composer of the entire era. And he wrote essentially a hit parade of many of the greatest operas of his or any time, an incredible fast sequence in what we call his early and middle periods. Operas like La Traviata and Rigoletto, uh, La Forza del Destino, Don Carlo, Un Ballo en Mascara, Il Trovatore, you name it, Verdi wrote it. And he, he really became sort of a, a rock star, not only in Italy, but all over Europe. And within a week of every opera's being performed, invariably people were singing the arias on the streets of Milan and all over Italy as well as organ grinders playing the tunes and then being widely disseminated around the Western world. So Verdi was really the great man of Italian music. In his late 50s, feeling that he was already an old man, I guess by 19th century standards, he decided to retire to his beautiful estate in Sant'Agata, uh, which is near his little hometown of La Roncole, where he was born and, and raised. And so he, he really retired from musical life and went back. He was really a, a kind of country squire at heart and rode around his properties and was involved with all the the raising of the animals and the planting of the crops and really reveled in this life of being a country squire and really had little or no intention of composing anymore. And yet, uh, when he was in his late 50s, one of his signal heroes, uh, Rossini, the great composer, passed away. And Verdi concocted a very interesting and beautiful idea of uh, having 12 of the leading composers in Italy each be commissioned to write a movement of a mass, with him actually taking the, the final movement, the Liberame. And in fact, he went through with his project, and, and all 12 composers were asked to write a movement of a, of a mass, and the piece was completed, but for a number of reasons, it, it never was performed. Actually, it turns out to be a fascinating piece that was only uh, actually performed 100-plus years later. Uh, and of course, the problem with it was that after Verdi, the level of quality of the other composers actually went dramatically down. There just weren't 12 really fine Italian composers at the time. Uh, but the piece was not performed, so Verdi took his beautiful Liberame, his final movement of the Mass, and put it in a drawer and didn't quite forget about it. But five years or four years later, uh, another of his signal heroes, his other great hero in Italian culture, 
passed away. This was the uh, the writer, the novelist Alessandro Manzoni, and uh, Verdi had been very close to Manzoni. Manzoni had written the the major work of Italian literature in the 19th century, I Promessi Sposi, the the young uh, fiancés or the young beloved, uh, which was this great kind of realistic novel uh, about Italian life and about real people. So when Manzoni died, Verdi decided he was so touched and moved by, by Manzoni's life and, and, and sadly affected by Manzoni's death, that he decided to take out his Liberame and construct his own complete requiem for the first anniversary of Manzoni's death in May, May 22nd, actually, uh, 1874, which is in fact what he did, and it's that piece that we hear tonight, the monumental and very, very beautiful Requiem Mass. So this is the work of a, a very mature Verdi, uh, essentially a 61-year-old man, Verdi, who never expected to go back to composing, only began composing again in his 70s and, and in his 80s. He lived a very long, full life. He lived actually into the 20th century, died in 1901. Uh, so he, he wrote those last two operas, Otello and, and Falstaff, after this piece. Uh, and those are incredible works, of course. But this is a, a work of a very mature composer. And, and of course, at the time, the piece was, was embraced by most audiences, but by certain critics and, and conductors, it was criticized a little bit for seeming like an opera in sacred garb. You know, sacred works are supposed to be sacred, and this work is so dramatic and so uh, powerful in a, in a sort of theatrical way that I think some sacred music figures found it a little bit uh, too expressive, in fact. And um, in reading about the piece in, in my preparation, I, I, I found out some very fascinating things about it. I was reading letters of Verdi, and it seems that Verdi had a very difficult time having the church allow him to have women in the choir because he wanted this anniversary requiem to be a year after Manzoni's death and to be in the major church, the major cathedral in Milan, and yet women were not technically allowed to sing in church or to appear in church uh, in a sort of performing role. So finally, after many machinations, he uh, managed to convince the archbishop that the women would be allowed to sing, but only if they stood behind a grate and if they were all heavily veiled. So that's in fact how they performed. And the next week they did performances at La Scala at the big theater in Milan, and there the women were were not uh, veiled and not hidden. They looked quite beautiful and young, and uh, the critics of the time commented on them. The other interesting thing that I found was that there was a great deal of discussion at the time among the, uh, I guess, the city council members of the Milan City Council. And when I was reading this letter, I thought uh, about about um, whether the piece should be allowed to be done. I assumed it was that they was, weren't sure it was sacred enough. But in fact, I was quite wrong. It was that certain of them were very concerned because in Milan there was supposed to be a separation of church and state. And so certain of the of the Congress of, of the the councilmen were actually concerned that if the city was paying for a, a, a performance of a liturgical work in a church that somehow might violate the idea of separation of church and state. Very progressive idea for the 1870s in, in Italy. Anyway, all problems were solved and uh, the performance went forward. It was a huge success, very beautiful uh, work. Um, and uh, then, then Verdi took it all over Europe and did kind of a dramatic tour a year later where he went to England and then all over Europe with his own cast but with different orchestras and played the work, and that was really how it became an established work. The work is in seven parts, and it's uh, the seven parts of the traditional Requiem Mass. Uh, Verdi once commented that... Uh, it was a very easy project for him because he didn't have to work too much with the librettist, since, of course, the Requiem Mass is, is a set text from the church in honor of or in at the time of, of the death 
of, of a person. Um, Verdi didn't have a lot of leeway in terms of changing text, and he frankly was quite relieved about that because he tended to be rather rough with his librettists. Uh, so the work in seven parts, to me, the, the most interesting part is the second section that begins with a beautiful Requiem Eternam, a choral movement that then leads to the, the soloists being introduced, the four singing soloists, whom we'll talk about in a minute. And then the second movement is that amazing uh, sort of vision of of the terrors of hell and damnation, the dies irae, the day of judgment, the day of anger, the day of rage. And Verdi cast this movement, it is in fact a very long liturgical poem attributed to Thomas of Celano from the 12th century, and it's this incredible set of three-line verses, many, many of them, uh, with this idea of dies irae, dies ila, on that day, the day of terror, uh, all will be judged. And and so the way Verdi constructs this movement, which actually is by far the longest movement in the piece, in fact, I think it's probably roughly the, the length of all the other movements combined almost, uh, is he really writes arias for all of the soloists, except, I guess, the, the soprano, as well as some set pieces, a couple of duets. There's a beautiful recordare for the soprano and the mezzo to sing together, but a very famous tenor aria, the ingemisco, and a great terrifying bass aria. The bass tends to play the role of, of sort of the, the the terror of the Day of Judgment, about the, the calamity of the judgments that will occur on that day. So an incredible, extended, almost a sort of sequence of arias and, and duets framed at various points by interjections of this terrifying music that the chorus sings, the Dies Irae, begins with, with incredible sort of explosive uh, drum hits, the, the timpani and the whole orchestra, bum, bum. Bum. And the second time it comes back with the bass drum playing the offbeats, a very terrifying and incredible uh, depiction of, of the Day of Judgment. The third movement, completely contrasting the offertorio about peace, and, and in a way that the work is divided really in two parts. The first two movements through the end of the Dies Irae, sort of looking at the Day of Judgment and the, the terror of that in the second movement, and then the rest of the piece really sort of trying to find peace and, and consolation. So the third movement, the offertorio, fourth movement, Sanctus, an incredible all-chorus, all-the-time fugue, very treacherously difficult but beautiful, performed incredibly wonderfully by our Albany Pro Musica. Uh, the fifth movement, the Agnus Dei, again, a beautiful, the Lamb of God, a beautiful duet for the soprano and the mezzo joined by the chorus. Uh, then the, the Lux Eterna, a beautiful piece featuring the mezzo-soprano, who's actually very prominently featured through the piece. And then finally, a very extended scene, the Liberame, uh, beginning with the soprano singing that incredible, almost speak singing, Liberame Domine de Morte, Eterna Die Ila, Tremenda, free me, God, from eternal death and on that terrible day. So a very extended scene, really, at Sena for a soprano and chorus, ending not in a triumphant way. There's a wonderful fugue, Liberame, Liberame Domine de Morte Eterna, but the music sort of subsides again, and the last words are this sort of plea of the soprano and the chorus, Liberame, Liberame, free me, deliver me from eternal death. Uh, so a very powerful, very dramatic, very moving piece that Verdi sets in the most beautiful way. The, the, to me, the, the things that make this particular Requiem Mass so extraordinary are, are, one, the use of the chorus. Verdi uses the chorus extensively, and he writes extremely challenging choral parts. In fact, this is, I think, without a doubt, although Verdi's choruses from his operas are, are masterful and brilliant and, and incredible, this is his greatest choral writing ever, and I think the, the greatest Italian choral writing, I don't know, after Palestrina. It's just amazingly rich and varied choral writing, and we're so 
honored for this performance to have David Janauer's chorus, Albany Pro Musica, with us. They do a, a, a brilliant job at conveying the drama of the text. So the way Verdi writes for the chorus is extraordinary, but the way Verdi writes for the orchestra is, is equally extraordinary in that the orchestra is not simply accompanying singers and chorus. It, it's a, has a very prominent role. The lines are, are often very direct and simple. Some of it involves a lot of, of church counterpoint of, of lines running against each other, but a lot of it is remarkably simple, and yet it's the most expressive and beautiful orchestral writing, incredibly vivid and colorful in the way he uses the winds and the brass. Uh, at a certain point in the Dies Irae, the tuba mirum, the, the call, the, the trumpet shall sound, you hear actually not only the onstage brass going absolutely crazy in, in the best possible way, but you hear them responding to and interacting with, with four offstage trumpets who are are positioned way up in the balcony inside the, the audience. And so you have this sense of the trumpets calling everybody to the Day of Judgment. So dramatic, powerful orchestral effects. And of course, lastly, the way Verdi writes for his, his solos. These are all liturgical texts, and yet they have such unique and, and characterful profiles. Uh, singing in this performance with us are four fabulous artists, starting with the soprano Lea Crocetto, who sung the, the role with Ricardo Muti at the Chicago Symphony and in Los Angeles with the Los Angeles Philharmonic and Gustavo Dudamel. We're very honored to have her with us. She's still a young woman just breaking into the international scene, but, but uh, will have a major, major career. She's just completing her time at the San Francisco Opera in the Adler Fellowship Program, uh, so we're delighted to welcome her. In the mezzo-soprano role, a veteran of Albany Symphony concerts and a great, great mezzo-soprano, Lucille Beer. Uh, we're very proud to have Lucy live and work in our community. She's appeared many times with the symphony, but uh, as, a, as a very young woman in her early 20s, won the Metropolitan Auditions and sang frequently at the Met and all over the world, one of the most radiant and beautiful mezzo-sopranos I know in the entire world. Uh, and then a very exciting and unusual tenor is joining us. This is his very first Verdi Requiem. His name is Tao Papua, and he has certainly the most unique biography of any tenor I've encountered yet. Tao is from the Pacific Island nation of Tonga, and uh, which is, I guess, not too far from New Zealand. And he grew up there and then in Utah. His family moved to Utah when he was 10 years old. He has nine siblings and uh, became a professional football player, playing first for the Cleveland Browns and then for the Baltimore Ravens, two seasons in the professionals, and then suffered a, a major foot injury. I mean, he's fine now, but he it made him have to stop uh, playing football professionally. And so like any good former football player, retired football player, he decided on the only career path available to most retired football players, that of being an operatic tenor. So he moved to New York and began studying singing and had a, some great opportunities. Uh, Dame Kiri Takanawa, the New Zealand-born brilliant soprano, sort of met him and, and took him under her wing and was very helpful uh, to him. And he's been studying at the Juilliard School in their fabulous opera program for the last two and a half years and is now beginning to make his career as a, a really major young operatic tenor. He's a lovely young guy and a really big, tall, handsome guy, and we're honored to um, have him with us for his first Verdi Requiem. And then finally, Raymond Aceto, another singer who has sung frequently at the Metropolitan Opera and all over the world, frequently in Europe, uh, and with major, major orchestras, a, a native of Ohio who currently lives in Cleveland and sings frequently with the Cleveland Orchestra, is our bass. Very dramatic fashion. So a tremendous quartet of singers along with the brilliant members of Albany Pro Musica. We're happy to welcome all of them for this monumental performance. So now, uh, without further ado, the Albany Symphony performs Giuseppe Verdi's Requiem Mass, 
from 1874. It features Lea Crocetto soprano, Lucille Beer mezzo soprano, Tao Papua tenor, Raymond Acetto bass, and the members of Albany Pro Musica conducted by David Griggs Janauer. The entire ensemble is conducted by me, David Allen Miller. The Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. The new Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony and he provides commentary on the WMHT live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live. On WMHT-FM, your classical companion.